The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Powerless without you, Lord, with you. You are in us, your Holy Spirit fills us, and the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is in us. And so, Lord, thank you for that power. Thank you, Lord, that we stand here today, not from a place of weakness and defeat, but from a place of victory and strength because of what you've done for us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you are, for all that you've done, and what you continue to do for us. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I'm glad to be back with you this week. Last week, we were gone on a uh, trip with our middle schoolers to um, Sevierville, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, that whole area. We stayed at this incredible resort with a water park in it, and uh, we just had a, an incredible, incredible time. But I'm really glad to be back with you. We've been going through the series, Love Is. We've just got a few more weeks of this left. I hope that it's been really impactful for you. I've heard some really encouraging, incredible stories from people about what the Lord's been doing in their lives as he's dealt with them in this new understanding of, of what it means to love and what it means to love others. Um, and so just to recap, here we go. This list is kind of long now, all right? We've, got, we've, gone, we've been going for a while. Here we go. We learned that love is important. Jesus said that all of the law, all of the prophets hangs on two things, love God and love people. We learned that love is a choice, right? We learned that it doesn't matter how you feel. Love isn't something just about emotions. Don't believe every country music song you hear, all right? Love is a choice that we can make day in and day out, regardless of circumstances, personalities. It doesn't matter. Love is a choice that we can make. We learned that love is patient and love puts up with a lot over a long period of time with restraint. We learn that love is kind. We learn that it doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. We learned it's not arrogant. It's not rude. Instead, it's considerate. We learn that it doesn't insist on its own way. Instead, it puts the other, the needs of others first uh, before its own. We learn that love isn't irritable. Love isn't resentful. We learn that love doesn't rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. We learn that love bears all things. And last week, we talked about love believes all things. And if I can sum up love believes all things, love believes the best about others. I would say it believes the best about others. And if we're going to talk this week about love hopes all things, let me continue that definition. Let's take hope a step further than believing. And that's that love believes the best about others' future. All right? Love believes the best about others' future. Now, we're going to unpack that today because there's, there's a lot of, there's some, there's some other things in there. It's a little bit more dense than just that sentence, but we're going to unpack that today. And you know, culturally in our world, I think that there's almost no difference between wish and hope. When we use that in conversation, when we say, I hope for something, we could easily say, I wish for something. Like if, if I found out you were, uh, you were up for a promotion and I said to you, I hope, we'd use that language, I hope you get it. What am I saying? I'm really saying, I wish that you would get it. I mean, it, it's almost the same thing. Or, or you, there's somebody that you meet or whatever and you say, you know, I, I want them to be my friend. I, I hope that they like me. But what else could you say? Well, I wish that they would like me. And so uh, a lot of times in our culture, uh, it's just hope could be wishful thinking. You know, like, I, I hope that the Tigers are good this year. Or in other words, I wish they were good. Or I hope that that sound in my engine is a cheap repair. Or I hope that the new Ghostbusters movie is going to be good. It's not. But when, when we say that, when we're saying hope, we're saying wish. But hope is not wishful thinking. Look at the definition here of wish. Look at the definition of hope. Wish, to want something to be true or to happen. 
But hope says to want something to happen or be true and think that it could happen or be true. Do you see the difference? In wishing, there's no confidence. Wishing doesn't need confidence. It's baseless. You wish, you wish you'd win the lottery. It doesn't matter. You don't need confidence. I just wish I would win the, the lottery. You wish that your newborn would understand that you have to be up early for work tomorrow and would be a little bit more considerate and would sleep all the way through the night. No, no, no. That's a wish. There's no confidence there. There's no, there's no reality there. There's just desires that you have. There may be strong desires, but it doesn't mean that they're going to actually come true. It doesn't mean that you have any, any confidence that it would, it would be true. And so an example, uh, when we were driving to Sevierville, uh, this storm kind of cropped up. When we got, we were really close, we were driving in the mountains, and the storm cropped up, and it got real windy, and I'm in the right lane, and all of a sudden, a tree falls. It's like 15 feet in front of us. I'm going 70 miles an hour. So to cover 15 feet and 70 miles an hour, that's, that's, you can do that pretty quick. So this tree falls in my lane. And so I just, thank God no one was next to us. I don't even remember if I looked. I really don't remember a lot about what happened. Uh, but I just swerved around the tree and, and the kids' stuff just goes flying everywhere and they're all, you know, they're all upset and I'm just hyped. You know what I mean? I'm just holding on to that, that steering wheel and the kids are screaming at me because I made them drop their candy and my wife just goes, why don't we just let, leave daddy alone for a little bit? And I'm just like, ooh, ooh. And so... As we're driving, Max said, you know, Dad, I wish trees wouldn't fall in the road. And then I said, yeah, and I wish I had brought more uh, changes of underwear. But this is where we are right now. And so there's no confidence there. I have no real reason to think that a tree won't fall in the road, right? Like, it's just a wish. It's baseless. And that's not loving. It's not loving to wish all things because it's not helpful. Oh, I I wish he'd get his life together. I wish he'd turn her life around. I, I wish this would work out. Oh, well. There's nothing real there. There's nothing, there's nothing firm there. But love hopes all things. And hope, hoping is not just wishful thinking. Instead, it's informed confidence. When we talk about hope, hope is informed confidence. And the Greek for hope it literally means to expect or to hope for. An expectation. You know, like uh, you could say, to use hope in a more accurate way, let's say you're in school and, and you're, you're, you're thinking about your grades or whatever. You say, I hope... I have hope that I'll get a good grade for an assignment. Well, why are you hoping that? Well, you, you have knowledge of your teacher. You know how they grade. You have knowledge of your past assignments and how they've turned out. You have knowledge of the work that you submitted. So it's an informed confidence. I'm confident that the work I've turned in will give me a good grade. I have hope that I'll get a good grade. It's informed confidence because it's based in reality. You know, when we were talking about going to East Tennessee with our kids, when we were talking about that drive, you know, people always ask, like, are you worried about the drive? Well, no, I'm, I really wasn't. I, I had hope that it would be an easy drive. And that wasn't just me doing wishful thinking. It, it, it was, I was tempted to just have wishful thinking there, but it really wasn't. We've driven to Pennsylvania and Ohio and other places. You don't need to drive with four kids. And we've driven, like, we've driven those long distances. And as long as the iPad stays charged, so do the kids. And we're good. And so, like, I knew. I had, I had information. I knew that, that there was a strong probability. I knew that, that I could be confident that this drive could go well. I knew that it could be easy. It was an informed confidence. And there's a great example of this in Romans chapter 8. Paul is talking about the redemption of our bodies. When, we, uh, uh, when, when the Lord ultimately um, redeems all of us, redeems our body, he says in Romans 8, 23 through 25, 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There's a confidence here. What does he say here? We wait eagerly for adoption as sons. That's confidence. I mean, if wishful thinking, do you wait eagerly for your wishful thinking to come true? No. I mean, do you fill out Publishers Clearinghouse and then go send it off and then wait on your porch every day waiting for, you know, Ed McMahon? Well, don't because he's been dead a while. But like, do you, you just wait? Like you're eager. You know, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. No, there's no confidence there. But this is confidence. Like there's confidence. This hope is, is, a, is an informed confidence. Why? Because Jesus himself who was raised from the dead, told them this. Jesus himself, who was raised from the dead, told them this, that, that the Lord would save them, that the Lord would raise them to new life. That's informed confidence, and that's how we love, not with wishful thinking, but with informed confidence about people's future. Love believes the best about others' future. Now, that's hard, and of course it is. I mean, we were just on this trip with the students and. Our theme was stand firm. We were talking about uh, we were talking about the armor of God, and we talked about spiritual warfare. And we said that that the enemy wants to trip us up. He wants to make it difficult for us to please the Lord. And how do we please the Lord? We love Him and we love people. So of course He's going to make it difficult for us to love people. And so of course it's difficult to not give up hope on people. Can we just be honest? Like everybody in this room, can we just be honest? We do that. We give up hope on people all the time. Now, I know we wish we weren't the type of people that would do that, but we are. Like, we write people off all the time. We say that, we say, you know what, this person, they're they're never going to change. They're never going to make it. You know, they, they might as well give up now. And we might say, we might not say those things out loud, but we do. We give up on people. And you know what, let's be honest too. It's not just, it's not just people we don't know very well. It's for our own family members, people really close to us. Have you ever felt that despair before for a family member where you felt no hope for them whatsoever? You just thought they're never going to change. They're too far gone. They're too entrenched in what they're entrenched in. There's nothing good that's going to happen for them. And what are you doing? You're being hateful towards them. You're thinking there is no hope for them. Whether they're a believer or a non-believer, we've all been there where we just give up hope. And how hateful is that? And why do we do that? Why do we lose hope for people? I think for a lot of reasons. One is time. You know, hope implies waiting. Remember what Romans 8 just said? Who, what, who, how can you hope for something you already have? Like, we have to wait for it. We have to wait for a change. And so, so we hate waiting. Like, I hate waiting. Don't you hate waiting? Don't you just get, kind of get, you get antsy and you're just ready to give up? I just, we hate waiting, right? We hate that time and and so as we wait, like as we wait, we see every day that passes is another opportunity for them to change and they're not going to. Every, opp- every day that passes is another opportunity for God to do something for them, for God to change them, to change their attitude, change their hearts, save them, whatever, transform them, whatever it is, and it didn't happen. They're getting further and further away. And every time as, as the clock ticks, as that time just keeps on going and keeps on going, we despair and we start to lose hope. I mean, I think about our yard. When we moved into our neighborhood, we were the first house built in our neighborhood 
And so for the longest time, they just stood our house. And so if you've ever, if you live in a neighborhood like that, if you live in a neighborhood they just kind of built in the middle of everything, you know, like they just tear down every tree up imaginable. So as we lived in the middle of this neighborhood, it was just like barren. There was just like nothing. And so we went and we bought a tree. Like we, I went to Lowe's and I got a little crabapple tree and I planted it in our front yard. And, uh, and it started to grow up and all this other stuff. Well, a few years of having it in our yard and it was wonderful and nice and all that, um, there, was, there was a storm that came through, like a really, really big storm and our front yard flooded. And as it did, the tree just went and it just leaned and so I I had it tied off but literally the storm like it lifted all of that out of the ground so the tree just kind of leaned I remember like I went out there and I was like I just kind of pushed it back up but I didn't tie it off and so what happened well the next time like the wind blew it just leaned more and then it leaned more and then I just left it I just didn't do anything about it and time passed and as time passed it got thicker and it got bigger and it got stronger and if you pull up at my house right now You'll see my house, and you'll think it's an optical illusion. You'll be like, oh, his house is leaning. No, it's not. That's my tree. Like, my tree is trying to do, I don't know if he's trying to do a push-up or sit-up, whatever it is, but my tree's got a really cool lean to it, which I think gives it character. Everybody else's tree, anybody can have a tree go straight. Can you do it sideways? I can. So anyway, like, our tree is sideways. The other day, I had someone over, and I said, man, just, like, bring your chainsaw the next time you're here. Like, let's just cut this bad boy down. Like, it makes me angry every time I see it. Like, I'm embarrassed that I let it get that way, because that didn't happen overnight. It was, like, slowly over time. I had, I had years where I could have gone out there and gone straight. Like, but I didn't. I would just, like, let it go. And so he said, no, we can, like, we can fix it. He said, no, really, we can fix it. And so he said, I'll bring my post hole digger over, and we'll, we'll put this post in. And he said, I have one of these in my office just like this, and it was, it was leaning just like that. Like, and now it's fixed. Like, we can fix this. I had given up hope. Every day that passed, it got stronger and stronger in the wrong position. It got more and more messed up in my eyes to the point where I just said, you know what? There is no hope for this. And, you know, I'm ashamed to say it, but it's true. I do the same thing with human beings. I do the same thing. The longer they're in, the, in, they're in addiction, the less likely they are to recover. The longer they're away from the Lord, the less hope they have for repentance, in my mind. The longer they display this behavior, there's less hope for reform. And so as time passes, as every day passes, as every minute passes, and I just see somebody getting more entrenched in their way of thinking or their way of doing things, the less and less hope I hold out for them. And so time's one of the reasons we give up on people. The other is the past. We define people by their past. We define people by, by what they've done. You know, they did it once, they'll do it again. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I'm not a big radio listener. I, don't, uh, I, I do love music, um, but a lot of times, like, I don't listen to music unless I'm the only one in the car because I will just, I'll just sing it out. Like, I will just, I'll just sing and just throw my arms and, you know, let Jesus take the wheel. And I'll just sing and go crazy. So one of the things I do most days, I listen to podcasts all the time. Basically, a podcast is just a radio show, but the people talking about different topics. But um, I can listen to it whenever I want on my phone. So I listen to podcasts a lot. There's this podcast I like um, called Criminal. And it's about, anybody want to take a guess? 
Criminals. Nailed it. All right, good job. Gold star. So in this, the, the story was about somebody who had an organization, it was a nonprofit organization, that would take these, these ex-convicts and try to find them jobs, find them housing, and all this other stuff. And one of the things that he really believed in, he strongly believed in, this guy running this organization, he strongly believed in people's ability to reform. And so the reporter comes in and, and he says, let me give you, like, I'll let you kind of um, follow me on this interview with this guy, and then, um, and then like, we can kind of talk about it. So they interview about what kind of job he'd like, where he'd like to live, and all this other stuff. And so as soon as he leaves the office, he said, okay, so this guy, he just came in. We're going to help him out. And her first question, the reporter's first question was, well, what did he do? And the guy said, do you see what you just did? Do you see what you just did? You did what everybody else for the rest of their life will do. You looked at them and all you saw was what, what he did 15 years ago. You didn't see the man that was just here talking about his family. You didn't see the man here that was just talking about how he wants to be a good citizen and the job he wants to have and all these other things. You immediately just defined him by what he had done before. And we do the same thing where we look at people's past and we let that define them now. And we let that define and determine their future and we give up hope. I mean, a silly example, um, when I was uh, working at the church I was at before I came here, um, they got me a, a, a MacBook Pro, and I loved it, and it was just really wonderful, and, um, you know, I, Angela started sleeping on the couch because the Pro needed to be next to me, and so anyway, like, I, I loved that computer, and, and one day I was up on the stage, and we were doing this youth thing, and as soon as the thing was over, I went to go pack up the, the computer, and when I did, I took my backpack that I was going to put it in, and I turned, and it hit the podium that the computer was on, and it just went... And it didn't fall, it was wide open, and it didn't fall like, you know, three feet. I mean, it fell, I don't know, ten feet away. It was a big, big fall. And that thing hit the ground and just, I mean, it died, and it died spectacularly. And my heart broke or whatever. And so I was just like, I can't believe this. This thing's so expensive. And so because it was so expensive, I couldn't just go buy another one. And in fact, my pastor, my boss, couldn't just go buy another one. It, it, it cost so much money, we had to go to the elders and say, hey, Grant messed up. Can we get him another one? And one of the elders asked, and, and he was just being prudent, but he asked. He said, how, do we, how can we be sure he won't do this again? And I was like, I got to be honest with you. You can't. Like, you cannot be sure. But let's take, let's take this gamble together. Anybody? I got odds. Who's got the odds, right? Like, and what was he doing? He was saying, like, he messed up. How can I be sure he won't mess up again? Now, since then, like, I'm even more careful. I got, you know those baby Bjorns you carry kids in? I got one of those for my computer. Like, so as soon as I leave here, I got that. But, I mean, again, we, it's hard for us to let go of the past. It's hard for us not to define people by their past. It's hard for us to not see their past as more powerful than what the Lord could provide for them in their future. And so we, we begin to give up hope. Maybe they wronged you. Maybe they messed up in a way you can't even imagine. And you just go, you know what? That's who they are. And we give up hope. Another, another reason we're so quick to give up hope, I think, is personality. Maybe you know them really well. Maybe you know them. Maybe they are hopelessly stubborn. And there's nothing that's going to change them with that. Um, you know, there's this, this flight that was going to Houston. And real quick, hang on. Let me give you a disclaimer. This, what follows, is a blonde joke. Now, listen. Um, if you are a blonde, this is just a joke, all right? This is not against you, um, and if you don't get it, just find someone next to you to, tell, to explain it to you. All right, so here we go. 
So the flight attendant noticed this blonde move from economy into first class, and she looked at her ticket, and she said, ma'am, you didn't pay for first class. Um, you're going to have to move back to your seat. And she said, no. She says, I'm blonde, I'm beautiful, I'm going to Houston, and I'm not moving. And so she went up to the co-pilot, and she said, I don't know how to tell you this. This lady, she didn't pay for first class, but now she's sitting in first class. She won't move. So the co-pilot goes over and tries to explain to her, hey, listen, you, you're going to have to move. You're not in the right seat. And she said, no, I'm blonde, I'm beautiful, I'm going to Houston, and I'm not moving. And so he goes in the cockpit, and he's talking to the pilot. He says, you won't believe this lady back here. Like, I think we're going to have to call the police, have, have them waiting for her when we land in Houston. I don't, it's just, it's crazy. And then the, the pilot said, hang on a second. Did you say she's blonde? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, don't worry, I speak blonde. And so he goes back. He whispers in her ear, and she goes, oh, okay. And then she moved back to the economy section. And then the flight attendant and the co-pilot, they run up to him and go, how in the world did you get her to do that? What did you tell her? And he goes, oh, it was easy. I just told her that uh, first class isn't going to Houston. And so um, (laughs) some people, thank you, Ma, some people can be completely stubborn to the point where you think there is no, there's no hope. Like they are who they are. This isn't going to change. Maybe their personality has caused you to lose hope. They're too difficult. They're too stubborn. They're too closed-minded. They're too entrenched in the things of this world. They're too, uh, they're too combative. They just don't seem to care. And everything I know about them would lead me to believe that their future is set, that there isn't good waiting for them. And so their personality tempts you to not hope for them. And the last thing is just circumstances. You would have hope for them if it weren't for the job they're in. You'd have hope for them if it weren't for the family that they're in. You'd have hope for them if it weren't for the illness they're battling. You would have hope for them if it weren't for the death of the loved one that made them so angry. You would have hope for them if the people around them seemed to be different people or if they didn't live where they lived or if the culture they're in was different. You would have hope, but circumstances. And circumstances just seem too powerful. They seem too influential in their life to to even believe for one second that God has something good for them or could have something good for them in the future. And so the circumstances tempt us to lose hope. So we have time and past and personality and circumstances. These aren't small things. These aren't easy to overcome. How can we have confidence when faced with those weaknesses, when faced with those realities? I mean, wishful thinking, fine. I can have wishful thinking for somebody who's been a jerk for 40 years, no big deal. I can have wishful thinking for someone in the most hopeless of all circumstances, no big deal. Why? Because wishful thinking is wishful thinking. There's no confidence there. I don't need confidence to make a wish. That's fine. I can just go, you know what? Maybe, whatever, like that's fine. But how in the world do we have confidence? How? Because, listen, listen to me, what do all of those four things, what do all those four things have in common? All those four challenges, we talk about personality and time and past and circumstances, what do they all have in common? They're people-centric. They're people-centric. So if we want confidence, it has to come from somewhere else. It can't come from people. It can't come from the person that we want to have confidence for. It can't because people change too much and people make mistakes. Like if you were to say, like, could, could you say right now that you trust me that you, that you have hope for me, that you have confidence that I will always be able to perfectly protect my children. You would want to say that. I would want you to say that, but it's not true. I make mistakes. A couple Sundays ago, let me give you an example. A couple Sundays ago, anybody in here work for Child Protective Services? No? Okay. All right, so um, I, had driven, I had driven my car to church. I'd driven separately. 
um, and I had a car seat. I had one of the car seats. And so um, Angela used a booster seat uh, for Piper Grace, and uh, they got to the church. And so on the way home, she said, hey, could you put that car seat back in? I'd rather her be in the full car seat than the booster because she tends to fall asleep, and in the booster, there's nowhere to put her head, and she just like slumps over. I said, yeah, 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 so I'll put it in. So uh, in the captain's chair, in the front, uh, or in the middle of the van, in the captain's chair, I put her car seat in, and as I'm doing that, like, the kids are freaking out, and they're screaming, and we're trying to figure out, are we going to lunch with somebody? Like, what, what's our plan right now? And it's just kind of hectic, so I put her car seat in and everything, and I put her in, and I buckle her in, and so, so then I, well, I leave. Like, I get my car, and I leave, and I get a call from Angela, and she said, hey, did you forget to do something? And I went, no, I mean, I gave you the car seat. She goes, yeah, and you buckled her in. Did you buckle the car seat in? And I went, I feel like this is one of those questions you already know the answer to. And she said, yeah, you didn't. And I said, well, what happened? She said, I pulled out of the church. And as I turned, Piper Grace just went, whoa. And the car seat just tilted over. And she was just sitting there going, mommy, mommy. As much as I want, as much as you should have confidence, as much as I want to trust that I will always perfectly protect my kids. Sometimes I forget things. And sometimes I'm not perfect. And if we're to have hope for people, for their future, if we're to have hope for people's future, it can't be based in people because people change. It can't be based in them because they change and they make mistakes. So where does our confidence come from? How can I always choose hope for people's future? How in the world can I do that? Our confidence comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. He is it. Our hope for others' future is based not in others, but in God. Our hope for their future is based not in others, but in God. Think about it. Think about our challenges. Our challenge is time, but his timing is perfect. Our challenge is time, but his timing is perfect. Again, Every day that passes, when we see time, every day that passes and we don't see change and we don't see the Lord come in and do something or whatever, we just think it's getting more and more hopeless. Whereas the Lord is constantly and perfectly in control. Acts 1-7 says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. The Lord's perfectly in control, perfectly. His timing is perfect. And if the person that you're concerned about or the person you're tempted to lose hope about, they're not a believer and that's where you're losing hope, Lord, they're not turning to you every day has changed and they're further away from you. Salvation belongs to God, trust his timing. Salvation belongs to God, trust his timing. You can trust you can believe, you can hope for good, for the best, for their future. Because the Lord has perfect timing. The Lord's timing is perfect. And if that person you're worried about, that person you're concerned about, that person that you're struggling to keep hope with is a brother or sister, trust that the Father will do what he must to deal with them in his time. The Lord will deal with his kids, and he'll do it in his time. Trust his timing. Today, for example, so Angel's out of town. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get in the shower, and the kids woke up, of course, way too early. And so I, I put them in my room, and I give them, like, donuts. I'm like, all right, eat these and stay in here. Max, you're, you're five. You, you're responsible. Just make sure, like, nobody, like, kills each other. Like, just keep, the, keep it all here, right? And so he just kept coming in. Like, if you tell my five-year-old he's in charge of anybody or anything, like, he will report, all right? And so he just, like, he pops in the shower, Dad. Piper Grace looked at Wit. They're fine, but I don't like the way she's looking at him. 
And I'm like, all right, we'll tell her to stop. All right, got it. I already done it. And so like, he's kind of reporting with me. Well, every time someone would do something he didn't like, he'd come in and be like, dad, you got to get out right now. You got to get out and you got to come, you got to fix it and you got to punish him and you got to make it right. Like he was ready for me to come bring justice. And I was like, son, you do not want that because there's some things even at five you can't unsee. Why don't you let me finish and get dressed and then I will come in and do it. My timing is fine. And I think the same thing, like a lot of times with our brothers and our sisters, we start to lose hope. Trust the Lord. He's their dad. Trust his timing. Don't give up hope on him. He hasn't. Trust the Lord's timing. Never lose hope. God's timing is perfect. Wait on the Lord. You won't be put to shame. The second thing, our challenge is their past. We think about their past. We define them by their past. But his love is bigger. His love is bigger. So our challenge is a past but his love is bigger. In Luke 15, the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling against Jesus because he receives sinners and he eats with them and they had lost hope for them. Like that's why they were upset. They completely lost hope for them. These people are sinners. That's all they're ever gonna be. And Jesus is hanging out with them. What is his problem? What is going on? And so then Jesus tells this story to display their value to him. And he tells that story. He says, if if a shepherd loses, has a hundred sheep and loses one, he goes out and he finds that one. And once he finds him, he comes back and he throws a feast and there's a big party. And then he says this in verse seven, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So think of that person right now that you're ready to give up hope on. Think about this with what Jesus just said. Jesus is looking for them And when he finds them, there will be a party in heaven. Heaven will go crazy. Heaven can't wait for them to be found. Isn't that incredible? Their past, fine. Where they are now, difficult. I get it. But his love is bigger. It makes me think about this guy named uh, Jorgen Moltmann, who's a a theologian. But before he was a theologian, um, he was a Nazi soldier. And uh, as the war ended, he didn't work at a concentration camp, but as the war ended, the truth about what the Nazis had done started to come out, and he was overwhelmed with shame and and grief that he had participated in some way by by being a German soldier in World War II. And um, so he went to this Christian meeting of these Dutch Christians, the same Dutch Christians that they persecuted and they arrested and they mistreated um, along with the Jews. And he was loved there, and he became a believer there. And he wrote this later about hope. But the ultimate reason for our hope is not to be found at all in what we want, wish for, and wait for. The ultimate reason is that we are wanted and wished for and waited for. What is it that awaits us? Does anyone await, does anything await us at all or are we alone? Whenever we base our hope on trust in the divine mystery, we feel deep down in our hearts there is someone who's waiting for you, who's hoping for you, who believes in you. We are waited for as the prodigal son in the parable is waited by his father. We are accepted and received as a mother takes her children into her arms and comforts them. God is our last hope because we are God's first love. God's love overcomes our pasts. This Nazi soldiers, this person that you love, and even your past, God's love will overcome our past. We can have hope. The third, our challenge is their personality, but he brings the dead to life. He brings the dead to life. They may be stubborn. They may be difficult. They may be misled. They may be hateful. That may be true, but God can bring the dead to life. 
You don't think God can bring a, a racist to the truth about himself? He can bring a dead person to life. You don't think God can bring someone out of a community that tells them nothing, all it tells them is that God is hateful and that God is distant or that God is not there. You don't think God can pull someone out of that community. He brings dead people to life. God can do it. 1 Timothy 1.5 was written by a man who dedicated his life to hating Jesus and hating his followers and persecuting them and ending this movement that followed Jesus. And he said, this is trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. In other words, he says, if Jesus can save me, he can save anybody. If Jesus can change me, he can change anybody. And that fills me with so much hope for myself. God, change me. I need it. I'm so messed up. I need you to change me. I need your hope. But this also means that for everyone, there is hope. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he saved the worst. Who's left? He came to save sinners. Where's the qualification? He came to save sinners who come to church. No. He came to save sinners who, who weren't that bad. No. He came to save sinners. And he already saved the worst. So he can save them all. There's no qualification. So there's hope. He saves us. And he can change us. All of us. All of us. It doesn't matter where they've come from. It doesn't matter what type of personality they have. God's powerful. And he brings the dead to life. Don't give up hope. The fourth, our challenge is circumstances, but his power is greater. We may be victims of circumstances. We may be constrained and restricted by circumstances. The family situation is too overwhelming. The culture that they're in is too overwhelming. Listen to the scripture. Listen to our God. Job 9, 5-8. Without warning, he, that's God, moves the mountains, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and its foundations tremble. If he commands it, the sun won't rise and the stars won't shine. He alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. Is there a circumstance that can restrain that God from doing a transformative work in someone's life? Is there a circumstance? Is there a, a, a suffering? Is there a moment of suffering? Is there a culture? Is there a belief system? Is there something that can stop the one who shakes the earth from doing a transformative work in their life? Is there, a, is there a stubbornness? Is there an illness? Is there, is there a culture they're in? Is there a place that they live? Is there a belief system that they have put their life into? Is there anything that can stop the one who can stop the sun? Is there anything that can stop the one who gives life to everything, who sustains all life? Is there anything that restrains our God? No. With the no. There's always hope. There's always hope. The Lord's power is never restrained. Never. So the Lord is the object of our hope for others. It's easy to give up hope on people. It's easy. It's easy to throw them away. It's easy. Because when you look at them, you go, well, they're not remarkable. Or they've always made these mistakes. They'll always make these mistakes. That's what humans do. Well, thank God that our hope is, does not rest in them, it does not rest in us, it rests in God. And you might think they'll never change. That might be true. But as long as the Lord lives, there is hope because at any moment, 
he can do a transformative work. You might say that they can't hear the truth. That might be true. But as long as the Lord lives, there is hope. Because at any moment, he can do a transformative work. You think about Paul. Go back to Paul. Think about it. He was the man. He was, he was doing this persecution and he hated Jesus and he hated the followers of Jesus. There was no way he was going to listen to any of them. There was no way that one of them was going to say, hey, look, let me tell you about Jesus. And, no, he's not listening. He's throwing them in jail. But God is not restrained. And God broke in and he spoke to him and he changed him and he made him new. Nothing, nothing stands in the way of our transformative God. So as long as the Lord lives, there is hope. For for whose future? Everyone's future. Everyone. The people in your life that you are tempted to completely give up hope for, there is hope for because the Lord lives. And how do we lean into those challenges with hope? How? Because I need to. I need to know how. Because I'm quick to give up. I'm quick to look at somebody and go, that's messed up. I don't even know. I don't know what's going to happen with them. And I, I'm honest, like, there's a friend of mine, and, and I think he's in this room right now. I love him dearly. He's like a brother to me. I love this guy. I'll tell you what, the first time I ever met him, that was the first thing I said about him. There is no hope for that kid. He's going to be in jail one day. He's an idiot. That's what's going to happen to him. He's going to do something stupid. He's going to end up in jail. That dude's a believer. The Lord saved him. The Lord broke through this life that made no sense for the Lord to break through, and he saved him, and he made him new. And now he's literally my brother. I'm quick to give up hope. I don't want to do that. That's hateful. The Lord doesn't do that to us. I don't want to do that to other people. How do we do it? It's it's a simple application. Here it is. Just prayer. Prayer. That's how we lean into these difficulties and these challenges with confidence. It's through prayer. When we're tempted to lose hope because of time or personality or circumstances, whatever, prayer is our defense. Why? Because prayer connects us to the one who does the transforming work. That's why. Now, if we, if we ignore prayer and we just try to figure it out on our own, I'm going to help him do better. I'm going to help him figure this out. I'm going to help her do this. I'm going to help her realize this or whatever. Then who, who, do, who are you relying on? Where is your faith? Where is your hope resting? On you. And your power to do transforming work. That's silly. That's stupid. That's not going to work. And so we pray because prayer connects us to the one who can do a transforming work. God, I can't do this change in them, but you can. I don't even know what's going to happen. They are headed to a place of pain and they're headed to a place of separation from you. But you can save them. I can't. I can't pull them out. But you can pull them out. Prayer connects us to that. So have you given up hope on somebody? Or are you about to? Is it a brother or a sister? Don't. Pray. As long as the Lord lives, there's hope for transformation in them. Is it somebody who's not a believer who doesn't follow the Lord? Don't. Pray. As long as the Lord lives, there is hope for their transformation. I want us to close this morning maybe a little bit differently than we normally do. I'd like to spend some time in prayers. Go ahead and you can bow your head and close your eyes. Right now, in your mind's eye, see that person. You know which one I'm talking about. The person that you're tempted to give up hope for. That you're tempted to not believe that the Lord has anything good for their future. You see them. 
Pray for them. Right now. Just give them to the Lord. Ask the one who brings the dead to life to do a transformative work for them. Ask the Lord to remove this hardness that you might even have for them and replace it with hope. Because our God lives. And as long as our God lives, there's hope. With every head bowed and eyes closed, maybe when you close your eyes, you're the one who comes to mind. Maybe it's you. And you think about your own life and you don't feel very hopeful even about yourself. Maybe the main reason for that is you're not following Jesus. You try to be good, you try to do it on your own, but you're not following Jesus. You're not trusting Him to make you new. Scriptures are clear. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you a whoever? Then that's you. Right now, in this moment, in the quietness of your own heart and mind, you don't have to say it out loud, call on the name of the Lord. Just tell Him right now, Lord, save me. Save me from myself. God, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose again. And I want to follow you. Save me. Change my life. Make me new. Lord, my prayer not only for those we just prayed for, but my prayer for the people in my own life that I'm quick to give up hope for and, and the people that all that came to all of our minds, Lord, we, we give them to you and we ask you to do your transformative work and would you help us be people of hope, not people who are quick to throw others away, not people who are quick to be cynical and to only see um, weakness in others and only see what, uh, what uh, negative outcomes the enemy has laid out for them them instead we would trust that there is hope for them because in you there is always hope we would trust that lord no matter the personality or the circumstance or whatever difficulty it is that that is causing us to want to lose our hope instead we would see that we have a god who's unrestrained by time and personality and unrestrained by circumstances and difficulties and our god does transformative work brings the dead to life and, and it doesn't matter. There's nothing that can stand in your way. Would you fill us with that hope for the people we love dearly that we worry about? Would you fill us with that hope for the people that we just run into, that we're quick to brush off? Would you fill us with that hope for them? And may we be loving towards them, filled with that hope. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, we're going to respond to the Lord in song. I'm going to ask our, our band to come up. Um, and uh, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And you respond however the Lord's calling you to respond. Uh, maybe for some of you, uh, you need to stay in your seat. You need to keep praying for that person, whoever that is, or the groups of people, whoever it is that you've given up hope for. It, maybe some of you, um, you need to come forward and, and pray. You can use these steps as an altar. I'll be here. Maybe you need to come pray with me. Or maybe... Maybe you were one of those people who gave your life to the Lord today. You called upon the name of the Lord and you're saved. Come forward, come talk to me. Because there's so much more. You're His 
And the Bible says you are new. You are his child. You are his. But listen, you just met him. There is so much more. There's a relationship he wants to have with you. He loves you dearly. So you come forward. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what comes next. We'll talk about baptism. We'll talk about how can you get to know him better. You come forward. But you respond however the Lord is calling you to respond this morning. Let's stand and let's sing.